2,500 years ago, the nation of Judah was taken into captivity by the Babylonians. Babylon was the world's dominant empire and system. God's people spent 70 long years far from home in Babylonian captivity. Just as the nation of Judah was taken into captivity 2,500 years ago, we, as God's people today, can find our hearts being taken captive by today's world system. But soon, this Babylon we are in will be gone, just like the one from 2,500 years ago. And if this is where our hearts are, if this is where all our hopes, dreams, plans, identity, and worth is found, then we have a problem. To give your life to the way of the Babylonians will be a catastrophic waste of your life. Our bodies might be in Babylon, but our hearts can be at home. Where is home, you ask? Our true home is not a place, it's a person. We were created to live with God. Even better, to live in God. Abide in me, dwell in me, live in me. That's what Jesus tells us to do. That was God's plan and purpose all along in creating mankind. For us to dwell with him in a personal, real, living and breathing relationship. And when God is our home and we dwell with him, dwell in him, then and only then will our souls truly find the rest we long for. There really is no place like home. There really is no person like Jesus. But we need to walk in wisdom because with every breath we take, the powers of modern day Babylon are seeking to lure us into captivity. Well, this is week number seven in our series called Captivity. And we started this series off by showing you a, an, Im an image. We'll put that back up on the screen. We typically have thought about our relationship with Jesus looking something like this. There's Jesus and there's us. And we're always just trying to get a little bit closer to the Lord. But the reality is the language of Scripture and the imagery of Scripture looks a lot less like that and a whole lot more like this. Jesus calls us to abide in him as he abides in us, to dwell in him. And you may not realize it, but that is the deepest longing of your soul. That is where your soul will only find its deepest satisfaction is in Christ and dwelling in Christ. He has created us to be encircled by and be engulfed by, be encompassed by His presence and by His glory. And it's only when we are in that place that we experience the fullness of joy. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it to the full or that you might have it to an abundance. And so if you've ever wondered, where is that life? I asked Christ to save me, but I don't really feel like I'm experiencing that life. It could be because you've thought of your relationship with Christ in terms of that first image and not the second image. He's calling us to abide in him. And for a lot of us today, frankly, that's why we're dissatisfied. That's why so many people, even believers in our world, seem to be in this constant pursuit of finding something that's going to meet the deepest needs of their heart, to find something that's finally going to bring a, a, a depth of satisfaction to our souls that we don't have any other way. And we've got to move away, church, from being people who merely know about God. And we got to become people who know God. People who know God, I mean really know God as a personal friend, as our 
closest confidant, where he is our dwelling place, where we are encircled and engulfed by his presence and by his glory. Moses really spoke to this in Psalm chapter 90, verse 1. He says, Lord, you have been our home from the beginning. Moses is thinking about all that he had gone through, bringing God's people out of captivity, bringing them into the wilderness and everything that happened and all the ups and downs. But Moses could say, God, you were our home in the middle of all of that. This is how Paul says it in Acts chapter 17, verse 28. He says, it's in him that we live and move and have our being. That's not how most of us would have described our relationship with Jesus up to this point. We would say, well, you know, I've been in this world. I've been in my job. I've been in my hobbies. I've been in family. I've been in all this stuff. And we just kind of brush by Jesus every once in a while. But Paul said, no, for me, I live and move in him and, and have my very being. In fact, Paul would say, I no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Jesus said it this way in John 14, 23. He said, all who love me will do what I say. My father will love them and we will come and make our home with each of them. Listen, you were created to live in Christ to abide in him, to dwell in him. He is to be your home. And if your heart is not at home in Jesus, then I can assure you your heart is in a dangerous place. Your heart is in a very vulnerable place. And all these captors that we've been talking about up until today, that's why that we have so much experience with those captors. That's why we know what that captivity is like because we so seldom Know what it is to dwell in and to live in and to abide in Jesus. Think about that. God wants to be your home. right? Home is the place where you're the real you. Home is the place where you're genuine, you're authentic, you don't have to pretend to be something you're not. Home is the place you can kick off your shoes and it really doesn't matter if your feet smell. And this is what God is saying. I want you to be at home with me. And I don't care what you bring in with you. I don't care what the baggage or the stink or the smell is. I'll deal with that, but I want you here with me. I want you to make your home with me. Home is a place that's warm, it's comfortable, it's familiar, it's safe. Home is a place where we have protection. It's a place where we have nourishment. And the Bible is clear over and over again, God wants to be that to you. He wants to be all that and more to you. He wants to be your dwelling place. He wants to be more than a blanket that you make out of forts on a Sunday afternoon for an hour and just sort of enjoy it and hang out and then move on to other things. God wants to be more than just your occasional vacation spot. God wants to be your dwelling place. He wants to be the sum total of who you are in your entire life. Your earthly home may not have always been a place of peace. Maybe it's not a place of peace today. And I'm going to tell you, there is no earthly home that compares to Jesus being our home. His home, he himself has never been breached. He's never been broken into. The house of God has never been burned down. It is faithful. It is stable. It is safe. It is secure. David said of him, you are my rock and my fortress, my shield and my defender. Listen, when you begin to live in Christ, abide in Christ, then your life is going to be different. You will begin to experience that John 10, 10 life that Jesus said he came to give, life abundant, life full, life to the max. When you begin to abide in Christ and dwell in Christ, suddenly 
Nothing's going to be mundane to you anymore. Mondays will have meanings. Every person, every possibility, every moment of every day is going to have meaning and purpose and eternal value and worth. When your view of the world is from the living room of God, when you're in Him looking out, then the whole world's going to look different. Humanity is going to look different. The kids who live down the street that need somebody to invite them to church, they're going to look different. Every moment, every opportunity is going to look different to you when you live and dwell in Jesus. Listen to what David said in Psalm 27, verse 4. He said, I'm asking God for one thing. Now, you know, the Bible said David was a man after God's own heart. So I want to know, what does a man after God's own heart? He boils it down to one thing. One thing I want to ask the Lord for. What, what would be your one thing today? What, what would be Grace Life's one thing that we would ask the Lord for? Here's David's. David said, I'm asking God for one thing, only one thing. To live with him in his house my whole life long. I'll contemplate his beauty. I'll study at his feet. That's the only quiet, secure place in a noisy world, the perfect getaway, far from the buzz of traffic. What is David describing? Is David describing a physical building, a physical room? Is David just saying, listen, I just want to be a, a hermit in that room and just ignore everybody else and ignore the world? This, this is what I want. No, that is not what David is saying. David is saying, God, I just want to be engulfed and encircled and encompassed by your glory and by your presence, when I'm sitting on the throne of Israel, I want to be dwelling in you. When I'm going out to battle with my men, I want to be dwelling in you. When I'm pulling up the chair at the dinner table with my family, I want to be dwelling in you. I don't want to ever not be dwelling at you. I want you to ever be before me and behind me and around me in every way. That's what David is saying. Now listen, I think I have a sense of where we are, Grace Life. I think I have a sense of where I am and where many of you are, where we collectively as a church may be today, and it's this. We desire what David's describing I really believe there's a desire among us that we want to live in and abide in and dwell in Jesus. We want to know that life abundant that he talked about. There's a desire for it, but here's where we are. But we've not decided to go for it. We've not made the decision that that's what I'm going for. We just talk about it. We preach about it. We long for it. We know something's not right. There's a reason this series on captivity has resonated with our hearts because we know captivity all too well. We know the way that we are living our lives isn't working. It is not victorious Christian living. It is not life full to the abundance that Jesus talked about. We haven't decided to go for it. Listen, understand this. The word dwelling, abiding, it has the idea in Scripture of meaning to nestle in, to settle in, to make yourself at home, to 
go all in, to hold nothing back. There's a lot of homeowners here today. This is what happened when you bought that home, right? You, you did some shopping, you got online, you drove through some neighborhoods, you saw an earthly home that you desired. You liked the location, you liked the neighborhood, you liked the style, you liked the layout. It made sense for where you are in this season of life. And you said, that's the, that's the place we want. That's the place we desire. But merely desiring it doesn't get you in it, right? There had to come a moment that you made the decision, we're all in here. No holding back. We're going to have that conversation with the bank and we're going to go in debt, and we're going to sign 500 pieces of paper, and we're going to get the home insurance and all the other expenses that come along with home ownership, but we are going past desiring it now. We have made our decision. This is where we're going and committing to it. But yet when it comes to God, we know God, and we like God, and we love God, and we even desire to dwell in and live in God. But we haven't yet decided to. We haven't decided to be fully devoted to that, to commit ourselves wholly to that. We haven't fully made up our minds. Instead, we're like the person that James describes, the double-minded man. Right? We're trying to think both ways. James says that's the double-minded man. You know what James says about double-minded people? You can read it. He says they're unstable in all their ways. That sounds like a lot of believers today. Lacking stability. Why? Because we desire to dwell in Jesus but we refuse to decide to live in Jesus. See, we like the idea of God living two doors down in the neighborhood. That's what we like. We want to be able to see him from our yard. We want him to be close enough that we can go down and knock on his door when we need something. We like the idea of passing close to him on our way out of the neighborhood to do the things that are really important so we can holler at him to bless us as we go about our day. We like the idea of a God down the street. But God's not that kind of God. He's not a God down the street kind of God. He has invited us over not to visit To stay, to dwell, to abide. That's what he desired to do from the first moment he scooped up dust and created people to abide together, to dwell together. But Adam and Eve sinned. And they hid. God still wanted them. So God came. Walked into the garden. Called their name. He found them. He forgave them. He brought his people out of captivity. He lived with them in the wilderness. In the cloud by day. The fire by night. 
They built the tabernacle. He lived with them. That's what he wanted. They get to Jerusalem. He lived there with them in the holy city. And then he comes in the flesh. They reject him. They nail him to the cross, which was the plan of God that we might be forgiven of our sin and reconciled to God. Why? That we might live with him, in him, dwell in him. He sent his Holy Spirit to live in us, that we might have that dwelling, abiding kind of relationship. In any moment, he's coming back, and he's going to make all things new. And the Bible concludes by saying, and God will be with them, and he will be their God, and they will be with him. This is what God has been after. The whole Bible is the story of a good and kind and gracious, holy God who is in pursuit of people who want to live with him and abide with him and dwell with him. God wants to be our home. But grace life, we just want him to be the neighbor down the street. God wants to be our home. But we've settled life two doors down and then one day we're standing out in the yard and this car comes into the neighborhood that we've never seen before as it passes us on the way to the cul-de-sac we get a glimpse of the personalized plates and they say idolatry it turns around in the cul-de-sac and it comes back and it stops right in front of us the back door opens up And we're invited in. And we get in. As we pass by God, two doors down, we turn our face the other way so maybe he doesn't see us. Then another day, another car pulls into the neighborhood. We're standing out in the yard just waving at God, two doors down. Personalized plates, they say busyness. It turns around, it comes back, door opens up, we get in. We pass by God on the way out of the neighborhood. And we slump down as low as we can get. Another day, another car comes in the neighborhood. Personalized plates say digital distractions. It makes the turn, comes back, and we get in. We hope God doesn't see us. Another car, another day, personalized plates say biblical apathy, illiteracy of the Bible. And we get in. And we pass by God and we think to ourselves, man, if I just had more time for him. Another car, another day, plates say negativity. The door opens up and we get in. Listen, as long as you are content with God living down the street, you're going to continue to fall victim to all these captors. They're taking you away from him. I've heard more positive feedback about this sermon series than probably any that I've ever preached. You know what that tells me? I'm preaching to captives. You know why? Because we're content with living two doors down. Close enough to wave. Close enough to ask him to bless us. Close enough to ask him to do something for us. But as long as you're content with God two doors down, the captors are going to keep coming to your door. As long as you're content with God down the street, you're going to keep falling into their traps. As long as God is down the street two doors down, you're going to keep wondering, where is this abundant life that Jesus said he came to give? 
God's desire is to surround you with himself and with his peace and with his presence. But these captors desire to lure us away from our father, from our fortress, from our rock, from our shield, and from our defender, away from our dwelling place, away from our heart's true home. And they want to take us into captivity. They're seeking to engulf us and encircle us with discouragement and despair and depression and a distorted view of God and division among ourselves so that all that stuff is all we begin to see and think and know. And over the last six weeks in this sermon series, we've come face to face with these captors. They've been strangely familiar to us as we've talked about them. And today, I'm inviting you to not just stop getting into the hoopty with idolatry or digital distractions or busyness or biblical illiteracy or negativity. I'm inviting you today to go past that, to repent of getting in that, turn your back on that, and walk two doors down. I'm inviting you, God's inviting you today to knock on his door. And to say, Jesus, I'm home. Life, my way, on my terms, is not enough. It's, it's not working. And, and let me tell you this. You don't have to be afraid as you take that walk two doors down that you're not qualified to live in his house. You have been pre-qualified. When Jesus... The righteous son of God gave his life on the cross for you by his grace through faith. He took your sin away and made you righteous in the sight of God. And that has qualified you to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You're pre-qualified. Listen, the captors in the hoopty are not your daddy. They don't love you. They don't care about you. They don't want what's best for you. They hate you. The captors in the hoopty, they hate your daddy. What they want to do is they want to break your heavenly daddy's heart over and over and over again by taking his sons and daughters into spiritual captivity so that they do not know the fullness and the depth of God's love for them. And all you got to do to get out of that captivity and dwell in the house of the Lord is the same thing you did when you were adopted into God's family. It's just repent and believe. That's it. That's it. You repent. You turn your back on the captors. And you go the other way. Two doors down. You knock on God's door and you say, I believe. I believe that you are God, very God. I believe that you sent your son to die for me. I believe that he is not only my savior, but he is my Lord. I believe that he alone has the rights to the throne of my heart. And in that, I submit and I surrender to your rulership, your lordship, your kingship of my life. And all I want is what David said he wanted. I just want to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's it. You simply come home. Today, let me tell you what you'll find when you get there. Not a God with a pointed finger. Not a God with a pointed finger, but a God with arms wide open. Arms 
wide open. Listen to what Jesus says. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Then Jesus said, Come to me. I'm just two doors down. Come to me, all of you who are weary. Anybody weary of the way life has been? Anybody weary of the way you've been going about it? Anybody? 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 Bueller? Bueller? Uh And Jesus says to you, come on. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. Anybody carrying heavy burdens here today? Anybody? 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 Come on, get a little Pentecostal. Throw them up. Come on. Amen. And Jesus says, come on. Come on. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Rest. And then he says, take my yoke upon you. Because his rest may not be what you think his rest is. The men in the room get a little freaked out when we talk about rest. They don't, you know. A lot of men grew up in church and Jesus got feminized. I know it's not like the cool thing to talk about genders anymore, but God created them male and female, so we're going to keep talking about them that way. But some of us came up in church and it, Jesus got a little feminized. And part of that was because the men, a lot of times, were absent in the church. And the church just kept on going, thank God, because of godly, faithful women who taught boys. Not really the case at Grace Life, and I praise the Lord for that. But even in our homes, oftentimes the men are neglectful of the spiritual leadership, and so mamas have to provide that spiritual leadership for their children, and Jesus becomes more feminine than he really is. And men then kind of grow up thinking, well, he's kind of boring. He's not boring. Here's what he says, verse 29 Take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you. Let me, let me just show you what that means in case you don't know because we're not very agricultural anymore. It's not a flattering analogy, but this is what it looks like. That wooden brace across those oxen is a yoke. And Jesus says, if you're tired and if you're weary and you're carrying a heavy burden, come to me and I'm going to give you rest. And here's what that looks like. You're going to get a yoke put on you. And Jesus, I want, Jesus says, I want you right beside me because I'm not calling you to nothingness. I'm calling you to everything that matters. I'm calling you to walk alongside me. I'm calling you to serve alongside me. I'm calling you to be a part, to be involved in advancing my kingdom in this earth. I'm calling you to advance my name in this world. I'm calling you to be a part of me building my church among the nations. I'm not calling you to do nothing. I am calling you to do everything that matters. I am calling you to give your life to what is going to reverberate and echo in eternity. Gentlemen, some of you have climbed the ladder to the very top and you got there and realized you leaned your ladder of life against the wrong wall. 
And God says, this is where I want your life to be, right here with me. And everything you do is going to matter. Everything you do is going to have purpose and meaning because we're doing it together. And then he says, what's important next? So somebody in here is going, I don't know how to do that, right? I don't know how to be yoked with Jesus. I don't know how to serve him like that. I don't know how to, everything I do has eternal. I don't know how to do that. And then he says, let me teach you. See it? I'm not twisting it out of order. This is the order Jesus said it in. Jesus says, let me teach you. There is nothing this Jewish rabbi loves to do more than to teach his people how to walk with him, how to serve him, how to have wholeness and fullness and purpose and value and worth in their life. And he is a good and patient teacher. In fact, he is the most accessible teacher you've ever known. You ever had one of those teachers that you just couldn't talk to? Afraid to ask them a question? You knew they weren't going to give you time after class? They really didn't care about you as a person. They're just, you know, not all teachers. Most aren't like that. But occasionally there's some like that. Jesus isn't like that. Look at what he, what he says next. He says, because I'm humble. Let me teach you because I'm humble. In other words, I'm lowly. I'm accessible. Although I'm almighty God, I'm going to come down to you. I'm going to make myself available and accessible to you. This is the kind of teacher I'll be to you. Your life's going to be changed. Your life is going to be different when you learn to abide in me and dwell in me. And I'm going to give you rest for your weary souls and your heavy burdens. You're going to put my yoke upon you. And I know you don't have a clue. So I'm going to teach you. And you don't have to wince when I speak to you because I am humble and accessible. And look what he says next. And gentle at heart. I'm not going to snap at you if you mess it up. I'm not going to be angry at you if you don't know how this goes. If you don't bat a thousand, if you stumble alongside of me in the work that we're doing, it's okay because I am gentle at heart. I am for you and I am not against you. I will not chastise you for your shortcomings because I already chastised my son for your shortcomings on the cross. He paid it all. We already sang that. So he says, I'm a humble and gentle teacher. And when you dwell in him, you're going to find him to be a humble and gentle rabbi. And look what he says next. And you will find rest for your souls. Your soul will find rest. And when your soul's at rest, hoopties look stupid. Who needs it, right? Who needs what they're peddling in the neighborhood? My soul is at rest. Verse 30, Jesus says, for my yoke is easy to bear. And the burden that I give you is light. Can I ask you, then why are we living two doors down? Hello. Who who reads this invitation and says, no, I'm just going to keep waving? I'll just keep the window rolled. You can tell how old I am. I'll keep the window rolled down and wave at you as I go by. I know this is going to sound really religious to say it this way, but what moron does that with this kind of invitation on the table? Why are we going to walk out of here today 
They go, I'm going to just keep staying two doors down. Pastor, just keep telling me about all the captors that are riding into the neighborhood because that's what I need to hear. No, no, they're really inconsequential. What you need to hear is repent and believe. Go home. It's what you're made for. Why would you desire to dwell anywhere else? Why would you be content to keep hanging out in Babylon? Why would you continue to be content to cozy up to these captors who just want to express their hatred toward your heavenly father by bludgeoning the souls and the hearts of his sons and daughters? Why don't you today walk away from that shack of a life that you've been living in? Be done with living life on your terms. And go two doors down and knock on the door. And say, Jesus, I want it your way. Today and for the rest of my life. You say, but God... God knows where I've been, Pastor, and and He knows what I've done. Yep. So, so, His invitation there that we just read in Matthew chapter 11 was not to well put together people. His invitation that we just read was to people who were beaten down because of their stupid decisions and choices and the moronic things that they had done and the heinous things that had been done to them. And he just said, come. His invitation is a come-as-you-are invitation. That he loves you too much to leave you that way. You don't have to worry about fixing it. That's his job. You just take the walk, knock on the door. And when he opens it, just make the decision that I'm going to decide to settle in here. This is my new home. This is where I'm going to live. This is where I'm going to abide. This is where I'm going to dwell. All we have to do is repent. And believe. I want to read that invitation to you one more time. I'm going to read it out of the message. And I want you just to let the Holy Spirit pour it over your mind and your heart. Verse 28. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me. And you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. And work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me. And you'll learn to live freely lightly. Anybody maybe realizing this morning I've been doing this all wrong. There's a better way. And God, you have just shown us the better way. The path. It's a fullness of life that Jesus 
said he came into this world to give. Holy Spirit, would you give a special grace to our hearts today to forsake our lives, to forsake that little place in life that we have made ourselves at home in, that little place that we've carved out for ourselves that it seems like every captor under the sun is well familiar with. And give us the grace today to go beyond merely desiring to deciding. Even right now, the enemy's whispering to some of you, yeah, you've tried this before and you don't know how to do it and you always jack it up. And your rabbi's saying to you, trust me. I'll teach you. But you got to settle in. Make the decision. That I'm going to be your home. That in me, you're going to live and move and have your being. I have just believed all week that God is going to do something special in my life today and your life today. And it's not just preacher talk. I sensed it as I studied this week. I, I went to Pastor Mike. We talked about that. Don't, don't sit here, please, and just say, well, I'm just going to keep doing it my way for a little bit longer. Eventually, one of those captors is going to scoop you up and not bring you back. Today's the day. Today's the day. I'm going to invite you in just a moment to make Jesus your home, your dwelling place. I noticed earlier people got on their faces in the choir loft praying during worship. God was already working there in our choir loft. I think he's working here. Maybe you need to put your face on this altar and humble yourself before the Lord today. Maybe you need to bury your face in your chair. Maybe you need to put your face as low as it'll go and your hands as high as they'll go. And say yes to this grace-filled invitation that Jesus has laid before us.